Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. All right, welcome to... All right, welcome to Casey... To the... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Welcome to the Big Electron on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Thanks for listening on this lovely Valentine's Day Ooh. with so much snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. It is lovely. It's yeah, actually kind of nice. It's not like too bad. Well, because it's melting off. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A so, good day to stay inside and cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> and eat soup. Yeah. <laughs> if you're single. Yeah. <laughs> or cuddle, cuddle with your soup. Uh, ooh. As, as you would. Nice there you go. <laughs> that's, that's why I said if you're single, you can couple with your soup. <laughs> there you go. All right. We have a, a really interesting show for you. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about love and science behind love and romance and Valentine <laughs> Day type thing topics um and then in the second half of the show we actually have um we have a guest he's a graduate student in physics at mit and uh, he would share he would try to help us explain all this big news that happened this week uh gravitational waves and ligo or ligo mm-hmm. uh experiments that um are like breakthroughs um that we got to see this week so um yeah it's it's a cool show. Yeah. So uh, what about, um, so if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions um, in any topic that we covered today, you can reach us here on studio at 573-882-8262. You can also text us at that same number, or you can also find us on our Facebook page where we are the Big Electron. So why don't you get us started, Madeline? Yeah, I can do that. Okay, so I'll, I'll try to explain this as best I can. Um, one of the perks of having dating a nuclear engineer is that I get all these super nerdy, really abstract um, metaphors. And so I'm going to share with you my favorite. I think it's really cool. Okay, so um, this metaphor is about the formation of a star. And so I know nothing about these things. So I'm going to try to you know, not butcher it. But basically what happens is in, in the kind of star that's formed by fusing hydrogen, as f- I believe that's not the only way you can make a star. I think you could have neutron stars that come from um, other sources and imploding I think the, other the stars. Hydrogen ones are the main kind. Okay. That's most of what we're seeing. Okay. So or then, what we see the most, I think. What yeah. They're mostly made out of okay. hydrogen, helium, and then it just goes from there. So the that's what I'm talking about. So I guess what happens in this process is that you have two protons. and Well, you have a bunch of protons. But we're going to focus on these two, two protons. At <laughs> two, two at a time. Two at a time. And uh, so these protons have both their particles, but they have wave, um, you know... They act like waves, and these particles can interact with each other in every way, even if we can't observe or understand it. 
And so what happens when these protons get close to each other is there's a balance of forces. And so you have gravity and their momentum that's trying to get them close together, but they're protons. So they're positively charged and they have this really strong repulsion happening. Apparently the, um, the repulsion from their charges is like 10 to the 30 times stronger than gravity could be. So repulsion wins yeah. most of the time. Uh, these things go flying off in different directions and never remember that they interacted at all. And um, yeah, that's okay. Um, but apparently through, um, through quantum, quantum physics, we can Yay! explain. <laughs> everyone loves quantum physics. Uh, we can explain what happens next. And apparently what happens is um, there's a chance through um, just through quantum mechanics that the um, one proton might tunnel through the positive charge of the other proton. Um, the positron. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knows how that happens. But the end result is that... They collide. They collide, okay. and then the strong force takes hold, which is apparently the strongest force in nature, very cleverly named. Mm. And then from there, they're inseparable, and that is the formation of a star. And so you Aww. can think of, yeah, you can think of <laughs> our protons as a little couple, and the strong force is their love, and then they form a star. And then my favorite part Aww. about this, yeah, <laughs> it's so sickeningly sweet. The strong force was love all along. <laughs> and um, yeah, we should alert the physicists. We figured it out. <laughs> all you need is love. Think, you can all stop yeah, I don't think out. they'll agree on that. Um, we figured it all out. Yeah. You can stop now. So my favorite part about this little analogy <laughs> is that like it seems so super special and like, oh my gosh, it's a star now. Well, now you are one of the millions of stars in this sky. <laughs> and, you know, just, you know, one of these million things happening every night. And um, there are some stars that are like have are really old and they burn really brightly. And then there's some mm -hmm. that get too big and then implode on themselves. <laughs> so just like love. What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah. No, it totally happens. Yeah, and you're so, saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I've been trying to think of if there's any sort of similar analogy for single people. I don't really, I don't have one right now. So if anyone has any suggestions, I would be open Soup. to hearing them. <laughs> <laughs> I think Adam yeah. and I co yeah. can coincide on that. Soup. 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 Yeah. Let's. <laughs> Very cool. Till until you know we can figure something out quantumly, we will we'll go, we'll with, go soup. with soup. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we love quantum mechanics and soup. <laughs> and, and apparently quantum mechanics loves us and loves love. Yep, the strong force. Because the strong there is force. a strong force. <laughs> Will the force also be with them? Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, mm. have to, I'll have to ask a physicist. <laughs> All right. Well, they, they will say probably, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably most of them would rather see. They'll probably say... The force is the word "force" is being misused and is not <laughs> is not that. Well, it has a lot of meanings, different meanings, right? <laughs> yeah. It depends if you're talking about Star Wars or if you're oh. talking about 
Just quantum, yeah, which <laughs> is normal physics or like you know how strong you are, and you know it's it's a lot of things, Adam. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think if I were a physicist, I would have a lot of trouble watching a lot of the movies and TV shows that I enjoy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. Like I already know enough to be uh, cringing to be about a little it. bit cringing cynical when I when I see something that's blatantly <laughs> ridiculous going on, but. Uh, if I knew a lot about it, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. ruin all my fiction. So I've decided <laughs> to never learn it. Um, oh, there you go. I'm, that's that's good. good. I'm totally kidding. Science is awesome, kids. Um, so yeah, it's not physics though. Corn, <laughs> says the biologist. Yeah. Yeah. They should make a movie about corn. I think you would like that, right? I. They made a movie featuring corn. In the a, children in a of the corn. Role. <laughs> the children of the corn. Uh, yeah, that one. Um, the villain of the movie is the corn. It turns out. Um, no, it was that, um, I didn't see it, but it was that movie with um, Matthew McConaughey that was released last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gravity? Interstellar? Interstellar. Interstellar. That's oh. the one. Yeah, thank you. Interstellar. Apparently, there's a scene in this movie, which I read about, again, I have not seen it myself, where they imply that all the plants on Earth are dying and that the only food left uh-huh. for anyone to eat is corn. It's corn. Yep. And not just processed corn, but like corn on the cob, yeah. apparently. And I did have a biologist's reaction to that, to that there, which is that that is not real. That cannot happen. You would, oh. you can't survive on just corn alone. Oh, it sure. doesn't provide the nutrients mm-hmm. you need to get by. So, so that movie would have lost me almost immediately with a, with a badly placed corn. Oh, that's that's a very heavy, heavy quantum slash physics theme so yeah. i was lost yeah. very early on yeah well but it's beautifully made and uh-huh. you guys should see it and they they consulted with physicists to they, try to make the dark hole dark hole the black the, hole <laughs> <laughs> the black hole kind of what it should look like or what it looked like and it's it was beautiful yeah so that's your thing it's more, a very aesthetically placing movie more power to them they, yeah. they did not check with any corn farmers <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised you aren't just all corn pride about that no. The one, the one thing that survives. <laughs> is the one thing is the one thing I can grow without killing it. Um, so. All right. So continuing with our theme, um, we have all heard about the love hormone, right? Mm-hmm. And that one, it, it's called oxytocin, and we hear it all along. Going from dating to having a baby to like family and all this awesome stuff. Well, there is a couple of articles that were published and they studied, okay, how is, uh, they study, so most studies look at the positive effects of oxytocin and this is Mm -hmm. where it comes in and they talk about, ooh, well, this hormone facilitates bonding, increases trust, promotes altruism Mm -hmm. and all these beautiful things. Yes, flowers and, you know, (laughs) all this awesome stuff. But- um, and so that's, that's why we call it the love hormone. But, uh, recent research has shown that there's a darker side to it. Uh-oh. Okay. Um, uh, and this one, oxytocin can also increase aggression, risk taking and prejudice. Hmm which are not so cool anymore. Right. Hmm. And if you think about it a little bit, um, Another analysis was, well, this is kind of similar 
to alcohol consumption. Okay. So sure, alcohol, sure. yeah. So yeah. like when you drink alcohol, you know, you feel kind of happy and you're enjoying, but if you cross the very fine line, then it can turn into really bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they, they looked at this uh, from the oxytocin point of view and, and they found something that was very similar to what would alcohol be. Or um, So this, one of the, um, uh, what's it called? One of the researchers or the team that, that published this are at the University of Birmingham in England. And what they found was that both oxytocin and alcohol reduce fear, anxiety, and stress, but they increase trust, generosity, and altruism. But they, they also increase aggression, risk-taking, and prejudice, which they classify as in-group bias, which mm-hmm. it's uh, favoring people that are dis- like similar to us at the expense of others. Yeah. So we just kind of ignore them, ignore people that are not like us or like our friends. Mm-hmm. So um, love does this to us? This. Apparently so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they looked at it uh, from both perspectives. And so how does oxytocin work? So this one, um, they look at how oxytocin works and how alcohol works in the body. So oxytocin stimulates release of a neurotransmitter called GABA, uh, which reduces the neural activity. Yep. And alcohol binds to GABA receptors, so the same neurotransmitter, and it ramps up the GABA activity. So both have an effect on tamping down the brain activity, and possibly this explains why they both lower inhibitions. And so you become a little bit uh, better at risk taking or, you know, you're like, whatever, I'll do this. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's kind of one of the things that they are kind of similar, uh, Mm -hmm. but oxytocin and and alcohol. And they did uh, another study looked, uh, they did clinical trials, trials looking at this and they, um, it seems that they, both will interact with each other. So oxytocin and alcohol, when combined, they can um, they can interact, like physically interact with one another. And, really? and what they did is they looked at rats. And in this case, they showed that oxytocin prevented drunken motor impairment in rats by blocking the GABA receptors that usually are bound by alcohol. So, okay, let me get this straight. The oxytocin dampened the effect of drinking? Uh, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, because they bound to what would the GABA receptors would be, which generally would be bound by alcohol. Uh But in this case, oxytocin was like, nope, I beat you. Yeah. (laughs) Competitive inhibition or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been um, reading too much biochemistry lately. But, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So this one, uh, this interaction, they think it it's specific to brain regions that are that regular movement, and so the usual motor deficits associated with alcohol uh, still influence social and affective processes. Okay, I have a reciprocal question. So a lot of people, when they get drunk, get super lovey and they start texting everyone and saying, I love you. You're my best (laughs) friend. Do we think those are related? 
I don't know. know. Like, is so do we, maybe the alcohol would be mimicking these things that evolutionarily we would be associating with our family? Perhaps, or, you know, we say alcohol lowers inhibitions. And so yeah. if you're this person who truly feels this way, but you know, you generally don't say it. And when you're drunk, yeah, your you inhibitions are, are lowered and your risk taking increases. So you're like, yeah, eh, let's send this text. Let's send, let's call this person. Why not? Yeah. And then you end up having that. I don't know. Interesting. It sounds, it hmm. sounds interesting. So I, um, like I want to read more about that. Cool. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, they call this, uh, being love drunk. Um, uh, right. Mm-hmm. So when you're in love, you're kind of drunk in love. Uh huh. Um, and so they, they kind of offer uh, a possible biological explanation why, um, social support is so effective at helping people beat addictions. Oh, interesting. Because kind of fulfilling that need that alcohol is. Yeah, that alcohol that you needed, but oxytocin when you're in love, it like replaces alcohol. Wow. Well, this is in quotation marks. (laughs) I know, right? This is like, oh my gosh. Just be in love, and then you don't have to spend money on alcohol. There you go. <laughs> this is this is about economics. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then us being awesome grad students, you know, we <laughs> we always keep our economics in in, in mind. We, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Saves, so we're saves poor. on the beer budget. <laughs> so. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. So what they're looking at now is hopefully uh, finding. Uh, so, so they see that there are similarities between oxytocin and alcohol. And so what they're thinking is if they could develop an oxytocin-based treatment for alcoholics. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That That'd sounds cool. really interesting. Actually. Right, right. Yeah, nothing, nothing sarcastic there. Yeah. It's just really yeah. neat. Yeah, so like, you know, making people fall in love and then, <laughs> you know, they're not, I, I don't know if they won't be alcoholics anymore, but, you know, it's sure. it's a really cool idea based off you know, being in love and what makes us do when you're in love. And then now it's like, oh, it actually, you know, if we if you tweak it a little bit, it has actual yeah. applications. Yeah. So actually on that note, I've, um, I heard some things recently that I didn't know. Apparently there's, uh, you get an oxytocin boat. Yeah. Oxytocin. I almost always say oxycotton. No, <laughs> <laughs> <Know> that one. <laughs> different different no, that one. Uh, so oxytocin is apparently in oral contraceptives. And uh, so just by taking the birth control pill, you know, you're getting this little little boost of um, oxytocin. And um, apparently some, some people do use this, uh, maybe not oral contraceptives, but just oxytocin in general as a therapeutic. And I, I've heard some people kind of warn against that. You know, we don't necessarily know all the um, side effects, but um, one of the cooler, in my opinion, um, the cooler ways to do this is if people are going to like marriage counseling, couples counseling or something like that, you know, under the supervision of this professional, uh, give them a little bit of this oxytocin. And so that now they're more receptive to the counseling. And now, you know, they're in the mindset of trying to fix this relationship and build upon it and everything. And so I thought that was cool as far as a therapeutic, um, and, but yeah, cool. there's, there's also and, people. And there it goes to kind of going back to the alcohol thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's replacing all those receptors and, you know, being happy and whatever you want to call it. And then now it's like, see, it has like applications yeah. for other things. So 
to be a Debbie Downer for a minute, <laughs> there, you do have to kind of worry about some of these other effects that it could have. And I think you mentioned a few of them earlier. Um, I also found um, some, some papers um, that were talking about uh, oxytocin and envy and schadenfreude. <laughs> wow. That's Woo. not a scientific term, but it is an awesome term. No, it's a scientific term. Schadenfreude? Look at this. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's Schadenfreude. Yeah. It's, it's the, from the Journal put, of Biological Psychiatry. Yep. That's it was awesome. published they, a few years ago. They put one of my favorite things in a scientific <laughs> So article. tell us what it is. Yeah. Schadenfreude is when you're seeing somebody else's, I whatever, pain. failure, pain, yeah. discomfort, and... And that makes you very happy for some terrible reason. Uh -huh. Probably because you're a terrible person, but <laughs> it could be for any... Motivation is not the point. It's just yeah. you're taking pleasure in somebody else's something negative. Well, maybe yeah. you have too much oxytocin. So oh. what they did in this study was that um, they gave some people a puff of oxytocin and they had them basically play Monopoly, I believe. <laughs> and That is a ripe source of shopping for <laughs> Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe not, maybe it wasn't Monopoly, but some other game. And so... With another fake money. Uh, yeah, a, a fake person. So, like, if I'm the the person in the study, mm -hmm. then, Jackie, you're playing against me, and you are either going to get more money than me, at which point I'm going to be envious, or... I'm going to get more money than you, at which point I'm going to be gloating and mm -hmm. experience some schadenfreude. Mm -hmm. uh, or we're going to get the same amount of money, at which point there's really no effect. And um, so apparently the people who got this boost of oxytocin before um, undergoing the experiment had um, just elevated levels of whatever it was they were feeling. If it was the envy, they were more envious. If it was... Um, the gloating, they're gloating even more. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That makes it sound like maybe oxytocin ends up uh, magnifying whatever, mm -hmm. you know, emotions yeah. you're already feeling. You know, yeah. if it can help promote the bonding because that's what you're doing, then it's going to do that better if, you know, if yeah. you're gloating, but it also, it's going to make you a better gloater. <laughs> right, but it also has a darker side, right? Yeah. Like we already said, risk-taking and... Increase aggression and uh, you're more envious yeah. and you're like, or show off more, being more. So that would be terrible in couples counseling, right? Like, here you, here <laughs> yeah. you go to try to fix things and now all you can do is. Amplify everything yeah. negative that you already had. Yeah. And yeah. there's also been other studies where um, they look at, they'll give a person oxytocin and say, tell me about your mother. Tell me about your relationship <laughs> with your father or something like that. Or even your boss. Um, and I guess, uh, in general, it made those feelings stronger, whatever. Like if, if you had a great mom, you just tell all these Love loving stories. Her, right. Yeah. If you had, you know, a bad mom or an okay mom, you just were kind of <laughs> okay riping. Mom. Oh. Yeah. Well, they probably exist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> not <and> our mothers. <laughs> no. But yeah, it seemed like everything that I've seen tended to be, exacerbating mm -hmm. the emotions that you're already feeling. Oh. So yeah, of course, you know, when you have anything like this, people are going to capitalize on that. And so there's been people trying to market oxytocin spray for the office, <laughs> which will, you know, oh, it'll promote office bonding and all of your coworkers will just, you know, get along so well. What if you don't and get along with like them? Yeah. Promote office warfare if you already have a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So, so, so watch out. I don't know. I don't wow. know if any of those, you know, 
really um, got going too far, but I don't know. Seems a little bit dangerous. Yes, there's a whole new world out there for this, yeah. apparently. <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to go on our first musical break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. We're talking about oxytocin. Adam, what do you have for us? Well, um, let's talk uh, a little bit about the biology of love. Uh more specifically, the microbiology of love, uh, which is always a, a fascinating field. My favorite part of love. Yeah, of course. It's the most important part, right? <laughs> uh, biologically speaking, it might be the most diverse in the sense that, um, well, let's start from the beginning. Um, so you may be familiar with bacteria. They're tiny little things that uh, live uh, basically every possible spot of the earth that they can that they can find a foothold, uh, and that includes on you, uh, on your skin, in your uh, gut, your intestines, and so on, mm -hmm. uh, and in your mouth. Uh, so I hope I'm grossing you out already. That's <laughs> kind of kind of the point. Making me um, want to brush my teeth. Well, there you go. But even <laughs> that will not do the trick. And there's nothing wrong with that because there's bazillions of bacteria all over the place, and that's just how it is. But each of us has our own specific population of uh, bacteria that live in various parts of us. And, um, well, when you're in love, uh, one of the things you might do is, is, uh, kiss your, uh, romantic interest. Um, and Maybe. that means the merging of two populations of bacteria. So really every time, um, every time you kiss someone, if it feels like this is an earth shaking huge magical you know, world changing moment. moment well for the bacteria it is world changing really so um this is um, a little bit on a study that was done quite a while literally ago. is world changing yeah mm -hmm. they're changing they're changing their world the yeah they're world. changing to another body absolutely um so um yeah just be aware you're trading 80 million bacteria <laughs> per kiss roughly that's all that's pretty much 80 it. Million. Just thought you'd want to know. 80 million per 10 seconds of French kiss. Okay. Yeah. So there's your statistic that will be on the quiz at the end of the show. So we so. could consider awesome. these cooties? Yes, these are cooties. <laughs> cooties are a cooties real thing. Are, cooties are being exchanged with every kiss. Yeah. So. Congratulations. <laughs> All so. right. So I think we have on air, um, we have on air Checo. Or how would you like to call us? Sergio? Uh, Hello? Yeah, Awesome. Welcome to the show. So just a little background. Uh, we have Sergio and Benjamin, and they're both uh, PhD oh. students. Or, well, I yeah. guess, you, yeah, you guys are both PhD students. Uh, check, Sergio, you are in physics, right? Yes, exactly. And yeah. is Benjamin also in physics? Yeah, uh, not physics, but uh, chemistry. I do, but I do a little bit the same as quantum chemistry, so like crazy stuff. Cool. Awesome. No awesome. Right on. Yeah. And they're both, uh, they're calling from Boston. They're both students at MIT and uh, we have them on the show because they understand a little bit more about this topic that we're going to talk about than us. 
right? That's not that hard to do. Yeah, we're, I don't understand yeah. it at all. We have clear, but we appreciate your your being here. Yeah, oh, yeah so for we sure. have we have two biologists here and a chemist myself. So uh, gravitational waves was a little little above our, our head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we we asked these two gentlemen to to talk to us a little bit about this awesome news that we got that we got this week. So um, I guess to get us started, if you guys can tell us a little bit about uh, what is gravitational waves? What are gravitational waves? I, mean, I can tell you what I learned from my classes. It's, it's, it's not my field, but I can tell you that, you know, this, this week is uh, been a pretty exciting week here at MIT, at least, uh, you know, given that it was, it was an effort that started um, with, scientists here at MIT. So, you know, physics was a big party Thursday when uh, the fiction was completely confirmed. Cool. Um, but I can tell you, I mean, something that you learn in physics classes is that, uh, you know, uh, Einstein's prediction that was 100 years ago was that, you know, gravity is nothing else but the curvature of space-time, right? If, if you think of space and time as really one thing, as one fabric, then... Uh, the curvature of space tells objects how to move, and objects, the mass of the object curves the space. So it's kind of like you go back and forth between, you know, the mass of the object curves the space around it, and the curvature tells other objects how to move. And that's how you get things like planets going around the sun, moons going around planets, and, you know, pretty much everything that, that, that we know in the, in the universe. But then you have a situation where, you know, if this fabric... Right, it's kind of this field. Um, if you have massive objects orbiting around each other at a very high frequency, right, the, the orbital motion between them is very, very, very high. Then this field, right, you can think of it as a, you know, kind of like a pool, and then this, this things are spinning around, 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 and they, they create waves. And these are waves in spacetime. Um, they travel around uh, the universe at the speed of light, and uh, and and you know, now LIGO uh, it made this detection where uh, they basically, um, you know, measure the difference in length as this gravitational waves went through. So it, it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. You know, it, the, the precision was crazy, but, but they did it. And, and, and now it, we have a completely new window um, into the universe that, that uh, we didn't have before. So... Um if you'll, uh, if you'll permit me to ask a, a question, how, how do we look through this new window into the universe? What method are we able to use to actually detect these gravitational waves? Um, so it's basically uh, something that, uh, you know, I used to see when I was an undergrad, right? They, they, they give you these outreach videos um, for you to start understanding what those gravitational waves are. Um, the way they measure the thing, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of different efforts. For example, you can look at pulsars. Uh, you can look at, you know, the pulsars are stars, neutron stars in, out in space that are spinning, and they are basically lighthouses. Uh, mm -hmm. But we basically time the, you know, the, the lighthouses, and we know the, the period of oscillation very, very well. Uh, as They basically shoot this light beam at us, and then we measure the time that it takes get to the Earth. And, and if we see differences or fluctuations from this time of arrival in this period, then we know something happened. And, and we believe that that was actually the, the first indirect measurement of gravitational waves. 
know, as this, this, uh, the time period of arrival was changing. Now this is a direct measurement because, and the way it's done is that um, they're basically measuring the space time between two points. Uh, well, actually four. You have this uh, laser going into a pin splitter, makes an L-shaped uh, interferometer, uh, called an accelerator interferometer, and what it does is that it basically um, is a very, very expensive ruler. Uh, in a way, uh, it, it, it's, um, it's measuring the change in length as the gravitational waves go by. They change the space time around us, and the precision that you need is, is, is you know, a lot. It's like you know, the, the change in four kilometers would be something you know, of the order of a millionth of a millionth of a millionth of a meter. Uh, so that's that's incredible that you can get even that kind of resolution. Mm -hmm. Wow. I have another question. Um, you said that when we have these things that are orbiting around other things really, really fast, we get these waves. What, like, what scale are you talking about? You know, most when I think of space time and things orbiting, I think of the sun and planets and things that I would assume that's slow. I assume you're talking about really fast things. Well, um, I'm talking about very, very massive in the sense of like black holes. Okay. Uh, that uh, it's multiple solar masses. So, you know, if you collapse the mass of the sun into, I don't know, let's say something like five, ten uh, suns into one point and, and you make a black hole with that, uh, that that's, that's, that's the scale that I'm giving you uh, in, in terms of of um, how, how, how much force is between the things. Okay. So then things rotate around that, but it's just like a whole bunch of rotations every second. Yeah, I, 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 fortunately, I don't have a scale for what it's sure. but but I, I, I can tell you that you do need something very, very massive. Okay. Cool. What about, um, so they're saying, I was, I was reading some articles prior to the show and they're saying, oh, they were able to measure this and they've been looking for gravitational waves for like more than half a century. So for a very, very long time. And they're saying that these waves that were detected are like waves from like millions of years ago this one says i think like 1.3 billion years that sounds a lot so how are we able to detect waves that are old per se well it's because uh you know just like the light from the stars it it takes it, they, it travels at the speed of light so it takes time to get to us so you can think of it as also as a measure of length right it, it means that you know, if I know the speed of light and I know that this thing happened 1.13 uh, million years ago, then I know where it came from, right? I know how, how far away this thing uh, was when it happened. So, yeah, it, it, yes, it happened in the past, but we just got this information mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. as, as it travels through, through, um, through space. Cool. Uh, so I would imagine that we're getting hit with gravitational waves from a whole bunch of different, you know, sources from really far away all the time. So is it just that, like, was this source the closest and therefore gives the strongest waves? Oh, uh, I, yeah. Oh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't I'm, that way. Yeah, no, that's above my, 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. At least you know you you know a little bit more than we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I, uh, yeah. That's, this is what like I guess I learned from my undergrad and graduate classes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, you're you're one ahead of us, so we appreciate the uh, yeah. the extra info. Uh, I've got another one, and uh, again, feel free to uh, you know defer if it's if it's a ridiculous question on my part, but. Um, what new stuff can we see now if we can look at the gravitational waves themselves instead of just light? What, what does this allow us to see that we couldn't before? Well, as far as I understand is that, um, the, the, you know, I, I would say things like the, the, the center of galaxies, right? The, the, the problem when, when using uh, uh, electromagnetic waves uh, to measure things is that if you have things in between what you want to observe and your detector, then things get muddy. And and galaxies are very, you know, they're kind of like, I don't know how you call it, lollipops, right? They're very dense in the inside. Uh, so, so, you know, the idea is that with, with this new way of measuring the universe, I, I, I would believe that that is a good application with this. Um, you can look in, in inside the core of you know you can kind of like circumvent all this messiness because everything everything is being pulled by gravity. So and and you also know that uh, for example you have things that do not interact with electromagnetic waves so you can't use anything that that uses those type of techniques. So you know we know that there's like dark energy there. Dark energy has and we know that there's dark energy because it has mass. And so we, this is something that you can start probing with these types of tools. Wow. So cool. we could see stuff that we call dark for a reason, which is that we can't see it, uh, like yeah. dark, dark matter and dark energy, which are impossible to detect with light, but which could be detectable with gravitational waves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's ways that has been detected, but yeah, you can't detect them because they don't interact with light and basically any electromagnetic waves. Now we have another way of getting information. So these um, experiments, were they able to help us um, like with the calculations that would be required for that? Because as far as I understood, like we were pretty sure they were there. And then we were pretty sure like, you know, all the math said they should be there and that they should be real. And like your indirect observations said, you know, this is consistent with what we think is happening. So is this kind of just a sigh of relief like, oh, we didn't, we weren't wrong, or, you know, is it, is it that we're able to do more accurate calculations now that we've actually observed the event? Well, I would say it's, it's you know, it's one of those things uh, in science that, you know, in a way, um, we, we tried everything else, and it, everything seemed to be, to work out, except a couple of pieces, and gravitational waves is one of them, okay. I think. Um, I would say that, you know, I would compare it to, you know, and we have had situations in physics where uh, the, the theory said that it should be there, but we knew it didn't, uh, or like it, it was the other way around. And like, for example, with thermodynamics, uh, classical thermodynamics, we ended up with something called the, the ultraviolet catastrophe, because it said that a light bulb uh, should have infinite energy, and it's something that we knew it was not true. Uh, so in a way, I would say that it, you know, if, it's this paradoxical thing. I, I think uh, it was said here in MIT that you know you need you need to kind of like believe in what you're doing. 
it's not only about the hard work and you know the math and like this, but you have to believe that you know we have done all these checks and everything else, and therefore you know there's you know you should try. Uh, but sometimes you know the theory is wrong, and and you have to and that that is in itself also exciting because that means that there's yeah. something that you missed. Yeah. Uh, so so I would say that it is just at the heart of science. You know, that we we've had situations like. The luminous ether, right? People wanted to see if it was there, but it wasn't. Uh, all those different things. Uh, it can be a little bit like the Higgs boson, you know, that we had this idea. That a lot of people were pretty sure that the Higgs boson was there. And they, they were able to, like, confirm that the Higgs boson exists. And now that you know that exists, that you're sure about it, instead of having to believe does the Higgs boson exist, you can make more further assumptions and now try to create new things, right? A lot, yeah. of, a, a lot of these news ideas, like, we don't know what they are, right? Like, it's just that now the barrier of entry to studying other things are, are, is lower, right? You can, you can go in there with making more assumptions. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I have a question going, uh, you just said the Higgs boson, and I was thinking about this. Um, so it seems that a lot of this big... Uh, physics experiments, you know, we need a lot of collaborators, a lot of money, a lot of time to prepare for these. Um, so, you know, like like I mentioned at the beginning of, of the call is we have biologists here, chemists, myself, uh, and our research involves these kinds of things that we are able to see right there and then, um, you know, we have cells or whatever and we can touch them and things like that. How is it for you guys as physicists, um, Looking at, and, and I don't know why your research is, because I know it's not related to gravitational waves, but when you have to believe in the theory a little bit more uh, and, you know, kind of look around um, just to see where, uh, where you might find a hit rather than, you know, for us seeing a mice or corn or something that it's like right there and it's visible. See, um uh, that's an interesting one. It feels like like different <laughs> clicks in the lunch break, like in high school. Like, like I don't know. <laughs> like different. Uh, I mean, I would say that. I mean, I I my, my research in AMO, and and I have the the. I'm lucky that I get to basically turn on and off my experiments. You know, when I come and go from the lab. But uh, I would say that there, there's. Um, Sometimes you have to take a very big swing if you want to make a home run. And I think that these types of experiments, that's what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the, they're, they're very, very big questions. But I think that the answers that you get are, like, life-changing or, you know, humanity-changing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. Right on. Um, do you guys have other questions? Um, yeah, are we living in Star Trek time now? <laughs> are we are we in fictional world at this point? I think it's, I think technically we're in Star Wars time. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha. I stand corrected. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. So I know you guys uh, also work on this other really cool project. So you guys are grad students at MIT, but you also do some type of outreach. Um, and you guys want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, Louis de Ciencia, am I correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we it's a it's a group that we run between a, a lot of friends as volunteers. It's a 
the name of the project is Clubes into Mexico, although we there's also the Clubes into Colombia and Bolivian edition, and we were just talking about making the whole Latin American chapter. Uh, but the main idea is that we uh, our our goal is to like increase high quality scientific education to Latin America, and the way we do it is we have this program where we uh, connect. Uh, graduate students that are in, based in the U.S. with graduate students for like based in Mexico or, or uh, Colombia or Bolivia, and both of them work and collaborate on designing a workshop. And this workshop has to be done in one week. You have to present a, the students will have to present a poster and a presentation after it, and they're working the entire week. It's like six, seven, eight hours every day working on it together. Fifteen to twenty students. And we're not looking at like uh, I, I'm going to make a club of. We're not going to make a club about, for example, uh, calculus one. We're going to make a club about street fighting mathematics, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we're, we're trying to get something practical, or how do how do how to program a, a microprocessor so that you can automatically water your plants based on the season and time of day, right? Cool. So uh, that that that's what we're trying to we're, we're thinking of, and. Um, and just in, uh, just to give you an idea of the numbers, right now we're working in Mexico. We are working six cities, uh, and last edition, which was 2015 summer, we had uh, 42 clubs, all happening simultaneously in two weeks, uh, and around uh, 750 students. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And if I want to get involved, do I have to be around you guys' area or can it be any graduate student in the in the U.S.? Any grad student in the U.S.? Like, yeah. Well, welcome, everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, right now, we're actually looking for instructors. Uh, we have an open call in our website, which is clubesdeciencia.mx. Uh, if you, if you, what we ask of you is to... Uh, uh, give us some information and some idea of what type of club you might want to do. Uh, if we think you're cl- you have potential to have a, a good, really cool club, then you might get accepted. If you get accepted, uh, we pay for plane tickets, uh, hotel, and uh, and you get $300 for materials that you can use for whatever you want in your club. And, uh, and you get a small stipend for, like, food, right? And... I mean, so we, we try to cover all the basic needs, and all our clubs are free for our students. I mean, they're not free, but they're free for our students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's cool. really cool. Yeah, that's and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, Clubes de Ciencia translates to science club. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, cool. that's pretty logical, uh, right? Yeah, pretty logical. So, uh, and you guys are, are accepting applications. I believe the deadline is tomorrow? This uh, week. Next week. Oh, yeah. next week. Oh, next week. Okay. A little bit that's, more time. That's good. We could probably put that information on our, our Facebook page. Yeah, we could share that. Absolutely. Um, and if you're a grad student listening and you think this is a cool idea. And uh, one thing that you uh, did haven't mentioned yet is that you don't need a Spanish requirement, right? Like, if you don't know any Spanish, you can still go. You will be partnered with a graduate student in Mexico, and then you guys can work together. Cool. So. You just need to like Mexican food. 
<laughs> there it's you go. Easy requirement. Yeah, yeah. Another low bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time this this Sunday evening and um, keep enjoying all the fun over there at, at MIT. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. All right, see ya. And here in your the Big Electron, uh, we're going to go on a short musical break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Big Electron on KCU 88.1 FM. We were listening to us online. Thank you very much. Uh, we just found out that we have some a couple of online listeners, so... Thank you for that. Um, you can listen to it online on kcou.fm. Yeah. So yep. we have some information that might lead to cooties actually being lice. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> my apologies for miseducating the public in Who this knows? case. But, uh, on the some, fictional diseases. Yeah. You, you cannot get lice by kissing someone so far as I'm aware. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe you a can. big enough beard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should just stay out of things I don't understand, <laughs> but yeah. So. so anyway, I think to, to wrap up, we're going to talk a little bit about online dating mm -hmm. and how to do it well. Yeah, how to do it well uh, and looking at how the algorithms work and um, how they look at um, algorithms. We're Whitewater Ramble. You're listening to 88.1 KCOU Columbia. Yeah. All right. Um, so... <laughs> That was needed. Uh, so they look at um, kind of how, how people get matched when you are doing online dating. So they interviewed uh, this article, interviewed Mike Maxim, who is a chief technology officer at OKCupid. And they said that they look at small changes that can make a big changes all the time. Um, and how the work, the, the site works. Okay. So they said that, that the first, um, the biggest problem on the tech side for, for online dating is to make sure that everyone can find somebody. And so what they do, their, algor their algorithm matches users with one another and they use, they do this by using mat match percentages, which quantify how much users have in common along with their popularity and their inbox messages. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so they, they, keep in, in, they keep track of how attractive you are, basically, to the other users. Uh-huh, absolutely. So they say that on any dating site, a small subset, subset of users will receive the majority of the messages. Wow. So you have, a, like, you know, the, the one person. The one person, <laughs> uh, the popular girls in, in school or whatever. The cool kids um, club, yeah. Yeah, so they, so they look at that and then they look at to, in order to even out for this, they look at the number of unread inbox messages. Okay. And so that places users further down the match list if he or she has a lot of them. Um, and so then this popularity metric helps them match with people with similar status on their site. Whoa. So if you're like super popular, you will be placed with a super popular person, and then that's pretty they crazy go down to the me. line. And <laughs> kind of a bummer. I'm disturbed by this. Yeah. This is some sort of social engineering. Of some kind. But but you you're also looking at you know the compatibility of how much sure. things you have in common. So uh, don't get discouraged. <laughs> it's it's okay. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a little a little snip of. Um, Kind of how they look at, at online dating to close up our show on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. 
We love science, so our Valentine collectively is science. It's science. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. You were listening to The Big Electron on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Have a good night.